Uh, this evening we uh, will explore stage four and uh, with uh, stage four you um, stage four is a threshold if you managed stage four you can call yourself an adept meditator an expert meditator to be realistic it might be that many of us uh, have to spend time in retreat to do that. That does not mean uh, months and years of retreat, but as a practitioner anyway, it's good to prioritize and emphasize to do each year to do retreat, meditation retreat let's say two, three weekends and a week in summer. And retreat means that you remove yourself from the busyness of your life. So your summer house could be a very place to do that. So you don't need to think of retreat as something formal in a group or in a center or something like that but uh, to remove yourself from the busyness of your life. When we discuss stage four, it becomes more important to discuss the conditions which we can create in the way we live our life so that the way of living supports a contemplative lifestyle, a stable mind. So we will uh, go through what is called the six conditions. So by now, to enter the fourth stage, the sign for that is that throughout the meditation session, you are able to stay engaged with the primary meditation object, not losing it. So you have overcome cross distractions and cross dullness. As I explained before, a distraction becomes a cross, cross distraction when this distraction becomes the primary focus. So you lose the primary meditation object. The same with dullness. Dullness becomes a cross dullness when it replaces the primary meditation object. So in stage four, this is not happening anymore because you have sufficiently strong introspective awareness and you have sufficiently strong and bright peripheral awareness. <coughs> If you are not at that stage in your practice, which in a busy life might be possible, it, it does not mean that what I'm going to say is not useful for you. And the same is true for the following stages. First, of course, it's good to have a kind of map where you're going, but also some of the instructions 
they are also helpful in the in the stages one to three. What is also quite common that you have kind of glimpses or short experiences which uh, are being described in the in the more advanced stages. So it also helps you to have a kind of vocu vocu Vocabulary. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Can you say it again? Vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, for describing your experience. I will uh, do it uh, tonight as last time, so I will present you with the stage in the first half, and then after the break there will be time for question and I got also a few questions uh, with emails, so I'm going to refer to them as well. So we will start, as always, with uh, some aspects of the entry protocol, meaning what you do to kind of slide in and settle and get ready for the meditation. One of the aspects of the entry protocol is what traditionally is called Guru Yoga. And I started to call it the mental bonding process. Just to not scare people away to the word Guru Yoga, particularly the first word, Guru. So mental bonding process. So I will invite you, as previous, to imagine the presence of a mentor, male, female, possibly Buddhist, but uh, of course there is room for creativity, could be also a non-Buddhist teacher, male and female, now here we have His Holiness the Dalai Lama and His Holiness the Kamapa, the Buddha. Maybe you have some other teachers who uh, inspire you. And the purpose of this part of the entry protocol is to ask for the support, what is called to ask for the blessings, to get you into a sense that what we are practicing here is coming from a lineage which has been handing down these practices from the time of the Buddha in an unbroken lineage to, to Malmö. And this uh, thought or this reflection is in the Tibetan tradition seen as very important. So this is not my invention or it's not made up and it is also time-tested. It's like 2,500 years of adept meditators who have explored this territory, and we are standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's wonderful, because then we can do new mistakes and uh, learn from the struggles the adept meditators had before us. 
the other purpose of uh, the mentor bonding process is to lift up your spirit. So to kind of bring some light into, into the space, some light and hope, and particularly important, a warmth, a kindness. So when we do the mentor bonding process, we always emphasize this quality of compassion and love so that you have some warmth in your practice. You need to have warmth in your practice. Okay, so first thing is that you adjust your posture with a soft back, a soft front and strong back. And if you like, you can close your eyes. If you have your eyes open, you leave the gaze very relaxed without particularly focusing on something. And then you start with checking in, meaning you just notice what you bring with you into this moment. Notice what happens when you lovingly, with curiosity, bring your attention to your inner life, to how you feel, how it is for you to sit here. What is not part of this process in the beginning is to manipulate or control. So it's not about feeling better or calming down, but embracing and welcoming whatever you find, even if what you find is not that wonderful. There is a sliding or dropping into the body, from the head into the body. And if it helps you, you can slide with the in-breath into your body, even down into your feet. Then in the out-breath there is a quality of giving space or letting go. So with the out-breath, giving space and softening. You give yourself the permission to do nothing.
towards your belly. Solar plexus. And also the face, particularly the muscles which make you chew, and also the area around the eyebrows and above. breath sliding, with the out breath letting go. Maybe you can also relax the center position, particularly if that is up in the head. Then when you notice that you get entangled in the stream of thinking without hurry and friendly, you return to the sensations in your body, to the sense of a life, to the flow of the breath. turning and resting. And then you call upon the presence of your mentor in the space in front of you. 
and you make it a felt experience. So you feel as if this person, or if you choose to imagine a, a few more, as if they step into this room. Notice the eyes and the smile. It's like bathing in light. And if you get entangled into something else, you turn. Turning if possible, let your whole body be filled with the warmth, kindness. softening even more in the body.
then your mentor dissolves into light and that light enters your body at the heart level. And you notice the warmth and the light in your heart as if you become aware of the Buddha nature within, the Buddha within. And then we conclude with setting an intention. To use our life to wake up and to grow up. For the benefit of all. And for that, stable attention is an important ingredient.
So the main theme in the fourth stage is subtle dullness. And subtle dullness is a dead end in which uh, a trap in which meditators tend to fall into. And it's quite difficult to detect. And it's also quite difficult to work with. Subtle dullness is often confused with an advancement in meditation. And because subtle dullness takes the energy away from introspective awareness, it's difficult to become aware of, because that, what you need to use to to be aware of subtle dullness, in itself is dull. So it, it needs some exploration to become aware of subtle dullness. So here we don't talk about this kind of drowsiness which takes away the object. So you kind of stay engaged with the primary meditation object, but there's no sensory clarity and there's no brightness and peripheral awareness. So subtle dullness has has these three characteristics. The vividness and clarity of 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 the object fades. So you might think, oh, I'm getting somewhere, I'm staying with the breath, but the clarity and the brightness of the object fades. The second uh, characteristic is introspective awareness, so the mental factor who is able to bring you to this aha, or aha, I'm not in contact with the object anymore. That mental factor fades and peripheral awareness narrows down and fades. So it's like... The third characteristic of subtle dullness is the one which makes subtle dullness so seductive and that it feels good. So there is a comfortable, relaxed, pleasant feeling (coughs) around subtle dullness. And this comfortable, relaxed, feel-good experience might be confused with the joy, the meditative joy, the joy which comes from a subtle mind. It's two different things. But to learn the difference takes some time. So the meditative joy which comes from the mind settling down 
is uh, vivid, is kind of bright, is like there's a flow in it. It's like a, it's alive. Where subtle dullness is uh, pleasant, but not bright. And you, with subtle dullness, you hold the object in a kind of vague, in a vague way. So you are not in contact anymore with the subtleties of the subtle ob- of the meditation object. For example, the breath. So it is this kind of relaxed, nice feeling we might have on the couch, kind of like, you know, we sit relaxed on the couch and the mind quiets down and it's peaceful. And that's good. It's something to do very often. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that anymore. But it's not what we want to cultivate in meditation. It's, it has its space somewhere else. So, in, uh, in medi- meditation instructions, like mindfulness training or meditation uh, for stress reduction, this would be seen as good. I mean, this is like, this is what, what, want, what, what people want, this kind of peaceful, content moments. But for our purpose, using the stable attention then with vipassana, as a path to freedom, it's useless. You're not getting anywhere with it on the path of awakening. It's like a temporary good feeling which is appropriate and healthy, but it's not, it's a dead end. So it's not that we should feel bad about if this is kind of the common experience in our meditation. We could rejoice in that. But knowing and exploring and and trying to do it differently in your meditation practice without, of course, harshness, without too much ambition, but become aware of the trap, the dead end of subtle dullness. As I said, the challenge here is the mental factor which helps you to to detect, detect what is happening is fading. It's a, it's, a, it's a tricky place. Peripheral awareness is fading, and 
the inner watchman, you could, could say, the one who can say, hey, you're distracted, is also going to sleep. So one can um, cultivate that state and uh, get familiar with it and, and get seduced by it. So Lama Tsongkhapa writes uh, about that, that his observation is that a lot of the yogis and yogis in the caves uh, back then when he came onto the scene, the Tibetan scene in the 14th century, were lost in that dead end of subtle dullness, believing that they experience the joy of meditative stabilization. In the second stage, I talked about how to work with cross-dialness. So I gave a kind of a list of different things you can do working with cross-dialness. So all this advice, of course, is also helpful here in the in the work of in the work of uh, getting to know and getting curious about subtle dullness and working with it. But there's main, two main things to work with subtle dullness, built on the six, seven things I said regarding cross-dullness, cross-dullness. And that is uh, increasing the kind of increasing the energy in consciousness by broadening into peripheral, peripheral awareness and with your intention, with the help of your intention, to put a bit more energy into the curiosity of subtle, of subtle aspects of your meditation object. So increasing peripheral awareness would be, so you notice, oh, it has faded, kind of space out. So you consciously broaden peripheral, peripheral awareness, meaning you take in the sounds again, the environment, you take in what is else happening in the body. Of course, the primary object stays the primary object. So back to the, to the tray. So you would, uh, so the tray and the glasses, that's the primary object. So you would consciously broaden and uh, brighten the surveillance of the room, meaning the body and the surroundings. A very helpful method here is in order to 
increase the conscious energy through curiosity is to do a, a kind of simple body scan. So for some time, and it's being described of the, on the piece of paper I sent you, you let the breath into peripheral awareness and you bring your attention to, let's say, your right foot. foot. And you start to explore the sensations in the right foot. And you try to do that with this fascination of a child who alertly is exploring something fresh. So you try to connect with something which is also called the beginner's mind, which is this curious, fresh mind, which is not kind of saying, yeah, the foot, I know the foot, what's to explore in the foot, I know how the foot feels, and that's it. Not like that. You kind of you go into the foot as if you are exploring your foot for the first time. And you try to feel something, and notice something you have never noticed before. And I assure you, there is a lot in your foot which you have not noticed before. I mentioned that before or also that to increase the brightness of the mind, sometimes it, it's good to give you a bit of a challenge. So that, because if, 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 if your mind, in order for your mind to become aware of subtle experiences, and the foot isn't just an example now, it can be the hands or your shoulder, it doesn't matter. In order to increase the brightness of your mind, you kind of challenge yourself. You, you, you give yourself a bit of a pep talk in, in the way I now just did with this image of the child. And you could also say something, or you could bring something like into this, oh, thank you, foot. What, what, a, what a miracle foot that you, know, you carry me around and, and uh, it's so complex. And so in that way, your mind gets like, like oh, yeah, yeah? And, and that is, and that is the, this brightness. What you also could do is to start to compare uh, different meditation sessions you have had. So you get a sense of, ah, that was a meditation session where things were crisp. Ah, this is what is meant when they talk about sens sensory clarity, sensory clarity. And sometimes, 
In the beginning, you might be able to detect subtle dullness only after the session, kind of by looking back. Mm, how was the session? Was it, was it bright? Was it clear? And slowly, slowly, you get to know the difference between sensory clarity and brightness in your consciousness and a kind of pleasant feeling, hazy, uh, kind of spaced out state. One of the indications that you experience subtle dullness is what is called the startling reaction. So the startling reaction is if I, at the end of a meditation session, do this, and you are like, yeah? Kind of wake up. then that is a sign that you have been spaced out and have been, uh, have been dwelling in subtle darkness. Because if, you, if your consciousness would have been bright, you would have, you have, you would have heard that I'm about, that I pick it up in, in peripheral awareness. And it wouldn't be like a shock yeah. Uh, but it would be something which would be in peripheral awareness and you would be engaged with the breath but this wouldn't have this oh, yeah, what was that? Where was I? Also when people tell me after meditation session, oh, it was so nice. I, I didn't notice that time passed. And I didn't know, wh- I didn't know where, where, where I went. But it was so good. It was such a good meditation. That could be also a sign of uh, subtle dullness. Of course, if you reach meditative stability, you might say the same. You might say, oh, time, time didn't exist. There was no I. So it's, it's not so easy to distinguish that. But when I talk with people, it kind of you get a sense. You get a sense if that person experienced the brightness of meditative stability or this seductive, pleasant, relaxed contentment of subtle dullness. So the antidote, again, to subtle dullness is the brightness of peripheral awareness and increasing sensory clarity through investigation, through curiosity, through beginner's mind. 
Of course, we are talking he about here about a session where you have slept enough, where you are not drowsy, uh, where your posture um, supports a bright consciousness. Yeah, so that's also uh, one way to manage this a bit is through the posture. Uh, so you, you kind of energize your posture a bit uh, with opening the chest and putting a bit more a bit more dignity, a bit more alertness into your practice. The startling reaction as a sign that you have been in subtle awareness, in, in subtle dullness, the same as um, if you suddenly notice that your posture has slumped, yeah? then that is also a sign of subtle dullness. Because without subtle dull, dullness, you're aware of changes in the posture while they are happening. So with a bright consciousness, you correct the posture right there when it starts. But if you find yourself ending up in like this, without noticing it, then that is a sign for subtle dullness. The technique, one of the techniques, is this body scan, kind of body scan. So here, it, again, I talked about that before. We are not too hooked with one primary object in our meditation. There's flexibility. So we, we bring, we allow per, uh, the breath to slide somewhat into peripheral awareness, and we make the sensations, the subtle sensations in one body part, uh, the primary object. And then, at one point, you will be able to uh, manage subtle dullness, subtle dullness, so the conscious energy lifts again, and, and then you will return to the primary object you set it, you, you, you decided to work with, which for you in this course might be the sensation of the breath in your belly or the sensation of the breath in your nostrils, depending on what you have settled with. Uh, the intention here again. So I talked about that before, that throughout the session, sometimes it might be necessary to align yourself again with the intention, to nurture your intention, so that you know what you're doing, you know why you do it, 
and you bring some urgency into it. And this urgency will not, it will not be sufficient if you only meditate because you want to be a bit more relaxed and you will want to feel a bit better in your life. That intention is not very, it's not very powerful. So the most powerful intention we can have is the intention of bodhicitta. And uh, so the awakened heart, to wake up for the benefit of all. So that is the intention which has the most power. So, and, and that is something we, we need to cultivate uh, in, in our reflections, in our teachings, so it would be helpful to have separate meditation sessions, analytical meditation sessions, Lamrim meditations, where you cultivate this intention and when you strengthen it, so that in your meditation practice you don't need to go through a long reflection on that you're going to die, precious human life, karma, bodhicitta, but that it's kind of, you have done that, and just through kind of code words, you can bring up this powerful intention again. So it's still okay at this stage that sometimes throughout, through the meditation practice, throughout the session, you give yourself a bit of a guidance. Of course, that's also a hindrance which you at one point need to let go of. But uh, at our stage now, it's still okay to kind of talk to yourself a bit and, 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 and uh, nurture again the flame of your intention and with that the brightness. The energy is there for sure. The energy is, the conscious energy is inexhaustible. It's amazing. And you know that because maybe after the meditation session, you get engaged in a communication with someone you really like, and suddenly, bing, there it is, the brightness, the vividness. And you are there again. So why is that? Because maybe you are a very social person, you like to be with people, so this gives you again the brightness and the energy. So the energy is there. Uh, we just need to learn to maintain this brightness, this curiosity, this aliveness with something which is a bit boring. Yeah. The breath. I mean, it's not really boring. But you know, it's, uh, it, it, it can become boring, particularly for us. You know, we, we can have a dial meditation session, and then we get really bright watching Netflix. And that makes sense, because suddenly there's, again, things happening. And when things are happening, the level, the 
the, the energy of your consciousness rises. So now, now in the fourth stage, we come to a place where there is less happening. So you have less distraction. And less distraction means the mind gets dull. So we need to counteract that. So our mind becomes more stable, and that's a good thing. But as a side effect is that the conscious brightness diminishes through a lack of curiosity and a, a lack of alertness, a lack of interest. A boring breath. I have felt that before. But here, Netflix. <laughs> Second episode of your favorite series. Suddenly the energy is with, again there. So, uh, I want to mention the six conditions, and then I, uh, I just say them, because uh, I have uh, sent you uh, these six conditions. And I want to say a bit about them after the break, so there will be not so much time for questions. These six conditions, they go back to uh, Kamala Shila, the Indian master, uh, who wrote this book, uh, Stages of Meditation. On So this is the book, the whole thing we are studying is based on, on this, on this text. So the first condition is seek a conducive environment. So we become aware that the quality of our meditation on this level of our practice is supported by a conducive environment. Ideally, that would be a kind of retreat environment, a beautiful place, a bright place, with clean water, with healthy food, with people around who support your practice, and, important, a sense of safety. So in the, in the Tibetan tradition, there's a lot of emphasis in creating a sacred, safe space. Because in order to really go deeply inside, we need to feel safe. So, how can you create spaces like that for you in your daily practice? That would mean maybe to have a place, an altar, a meditation space, uh, where also the people you live with, they respect that time and, and give you the space. Um, Yeah, so we can reflect on uh, how can I create, how can I create in my, for my daily practice a sacred space? And then also, how can I create a place 
or find a place where I can sometimes go to, and that could be your summer house, uh, where, uh, where, you, where you have a conducive environment for this. If you ever have done retreat, then you know the, one of the main purposes of going into retreat is exactly that, to create a conducive environment. And the rules of a retreat, they, they are meant to do that, like silence, switching out the phone for six days, um, being in a beautiful, being in nature, having the sky, you know, People, when they go to retreat, they go to nice places, to beautiful places, to bright places, on, on, by a lake, on a mountaintop. If you are serious about this, you will also really consider where, where do you want to live. It's the place where you live. This is, of course, a long-term thing. But is the place where you live can that be maybe a bit more conducive? Like to, when you search for, for a flat, to look for characteristics like that. Is, is the place where I'm going to move, make that a, make, make that a criteria of your search where you live. So you see, we are starting to take this really serious here. The, the, the waking up project. <coughs> so not like as a hobby or you know, something you do on the side, but in fact your life is about your career. So it's a, it's a bit of a different level then. The second is live simply with few needs. Simplify your life. Again, that is a, that is a long-term project, but you can create pockets of retreats where you create a, an environment like that, where you, where you simplify your life. And in retreat you do that by following the schedule, Again, by removing all unnecessary possessions, so you don't have anything to worry about. So that's a question one can ask. So how can I simplify my life? What of my possessions would be good to let go of? Because whatever you possess occupies a certain part of your mind, a certain it takes some energy to possess something, even if it's in the basement. Yeah. And if it's in the basement for one year, then as part of simplifying your life, it could be uh, advisable to let go of things. Keep your flat simple, clean. Have little, have few quality items, not 20 crappy items. Take it easy with this, yeah? But it's just an inspiration. 
be, satis be satisfied with what you have. So in the retreat, you, you go with, with, your, with little things. I mean, sometimes I'm a bit surprised about the amount of the luggage people arrive <laughs> when they come to retreat. <laughs> sometimes I think, gosh, I could put my, all my possessions in this, in this American trunk-sized <laughs> thing. Yeah? Uh, it's wonderful if you want to move and you don't need a big car anymore. Yeah? It's fantastic. So be satisfied with what you have. This is, uh, this is increasing the contentment in your life. And when you increase the contentment with, with what you have, uh, then, of course, that stabilizes the mind. Because your mind is not searching for the new, newest gadget and gets exci excited about stuff you don't really need. So, again, that kind of conscious energy of searching for what you don't have that, that gets relaxed. The fourth point is avoid being too busy. So busyness in our times, of course, is a, is a kind of a success sign. I mean, you want to tell your friends that you're very busy. Oh, I'm so busy. It, it, it's, it, it sounds good, you know. Uh, it, it's embarrassing to say, you know, I, I don't have so much to do, actually. I, I, <laughs> I, I have quite, like next weekend, you know. I don't have, I don't, I don't have anything. It's just an open space. It's embarrassing to say that. Yeah? It's better to say, oh, I'm so busy at, at the weekend, uh, this and that, and friends, and, and going hunting, and what, what, whatever. Yeah? Going skiing, uh, going to a party, and then to say, I, I, I'm not busy at the weekend. I'm just at home. <laughs> So that's difficult in our culture, to make it a, a, a value for you not to be busy, or at least to reduce the busyness. It's a brainwashing. It's really brainwashing uh, that we make busyness so important, and, and so important for our social positioning. Yeah? Like in, in, in the groups, in the groups, part of uh, to part of to position you in a group, kind of you know, where are you in the hierarchy in the group? Busyness is a good thing, and it's stupid in a way. In a retreat again, that's exactly what you do. You avoid being busy. You, you don't do, you, 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 you're not going for walks like, uh, you know, and exploring the territory and uh, 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 or keep yourself busy, busy with reading books or something like that. 
That's the simple contentment with what is and what you have. The fifth is a, a, a big topic, and that is to live an ethical life. I will say something about that after the break. And the sixth is to give up pleasure-driven pursuits. Pleasure-driven pursuits. So this is uh, being a entertainment hunter. Um, give up. I mean, this is being written by a yogi. So uh, we shouldn't take it so like literally. Yeah? It's more like uh, being inspired by it and then reflecting, not to take it as a burden, but reflecting on mm, where can I, where can I relax my uh, compulsive thinking about entertainment and having like uh, exciting experiences uh, and uh, consuming. Yeah? To, to relax that compulsive thinking. Uh, and this is, uh, this is a, 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 year, a, a journey of years. But what you will find when you uh, take these six uh, conditions as a kind of a bit of a guideline, that you will actually end up in a more happy place, a more joyful place. Because if you do the opposite of these six, uh, this will lead you to short-term hedonistic pleasures. But it will not lead you to long-term joy, long-term happiness. A happiness which is independent from how well your life is going. A happiness from inside. 